Hey, this is Harrison. I'm the pastor of Kingdom Church. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the very first Kingdom Church podcast. I hope this message encourages you and allows you to see God in a brand new light. Enjoy. Dean says this. It says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. As we begin this journey on Kingdom, at Kingdom Church, there's something that you guys need to know about me. It's extremely, extremely vital. I'm married to the most beautiful, fantastic woman in the entire world. Somebody, can you guys stand to your feet for a second? I need you to stand. I, I'm not joking. I need you to stand up. My wife is in the front row, and uh, she's not as visible as I am, so she's not someone you're going to see as much as you're going to see me, Uh, but I need you guys to know that this church would not have been planted. This church could not have happened without her, and uh, I am forever grateful that she she said okay when I said that God wants me to plant a church, and uh, we couldn't be here without her. Uh, Reason number two you need to know her is, like, in every single one of my sermons, I generally tell a story about her. It's no different today. Uh, Come back with me about four, five, six years. Uh, This is when Christy and I were in university. Christy was going to school uh, at Red Deer College, and she was taking nursing. I was at school in Lacombe, and I was studying theology. So while I'm studying Greek and Hebrew, she's literally saving lives. And I had to tell her, I'm saving lives too. You guys are going to be thankful I know the Hebrew. And so as a nursing student, any nurses out there? Amen. As a nursing student, you do these things called clinicals, uh, which is like a practicum. And so this one time specifically, Christy, it was the middle of winter, and she was in uh, a maternity clinical. And so what that meant was she was literally there as people were delivering and giving birth. And every single day she would come home and say, I'm never having children. Apparently, nothing makes you not want to have kids more than seeing kids come out every single day. Men out there, if if your woman's pressuring you, you know what to do. Just look up birthing videos. (laughs) And so Christy was in in maternity, and uh, she was working the night shift, or the evening shift, which was 3 to 11. And this 3 to 11 shift, uh, it was fine, because, you know, middle of the day, all these things. But when the shift was over, after every single shift... Uh, I would get Christy to call me because her ship was over and Christy had parked far, far away. And the reason she parked far, far away is because far, far away is where free parking was. <laughs> At that point, I was like, I got to put a ring on this thing because like, we're on the same wavelength. And so she's parking, she parked far away because it was free. But the problem was because she was far away, it was 11 o'clock in the nighttime I had to make sure that we were talking to each other that whole, that whole walk because it's dark and Lord knows who's in Red Deer that could, that, that could do something. And so for that week when she was working that shift, every single day at like 11.05, she would call me 
And she would call, and uh, we just talk, and it was just good to hear her voice because I'm like, she's good. Walk to the car, and she'd drive back uh, to Lacombe. Uh, this one particular evening, I lived in the dorm at this time. Uh, I'm studying Greek, Hebrew, all that good stuff. And uh, I'm waiting for a phone call. It's about 11 o'clock, 11.05. And uh, the phone call hasn't come yet. Now, usually, like, around 11.05 was kind of that time when she called me. And she's like, hey. And uh, <clears throat> if you hear her talk, that's how she speaks. <laughs> and so I'm waiting for this phone call, and uh, there's nothing. 11.05, 11.10, there's nothing. And so a rational person thinks, well, maybe she got caught up. Maybe she's busy. Maybe her phone died. That ain't me. <laughs> my first reaction was like, oh, my gosh, some sick and twisted Red Deerian has taken her on her walk back to her car. And so I'm tripping out. <laughs> but I got to play it cool. Because if, if I call her a whole bunch of times, she's going to think I'm some weird psycho, psychotic person. So I played it cool for about 90 seconds. Uh, <laughs> and then I called her again, nothing. Called her again, nothing. 11.45, 12 o'clock, nothing. It's midnight and I'm absolutely tripping out. And so I go around the dorm and I go, my good friend Bobby's there and he's wide awake because there's no sense of time in the dorm. <laughs> and I said, I say, Bobby, we got to go to Red Deer and we got to go save her. I don't know where she is. I don't know what. He's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know, but whoever those people are, I will find them. <laughs> How many of you guys seen Taken? He's <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I will find her. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And Bobby's like, you sure you want to do this? I'm like, I'm sure. It's like minus 30 degrees. I don't even know what we're going to do. Just as they're about to get into the car, my phone rings. It's about 12.30. And I see Christy's face on the caller ID. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the ransom call. <laughs> this is it. This. And I pick up. Hey. And I'm like, Hey, <laughs> after what you put me, but for, for, as, for as angry as I wanted to be, I, I, I could not muster up that emotion. The only emotion that I could, could muster up was a complete and utter relief. It was like this, this, this sense of relief went over my body because something was lost, but then it was, it was found. And to this day, I have never felt how I felt in that moment to lose something that means more than anything to me in the world. It wasn't long after that that God spoke to my heart. And God said, that's how I feel when I lose something that I love more than anything. You see, a lot of people ask me, what, what are you going to preach about for your first sermon? What are you going to talk about? Better be good. I meet a lot of people. <laughs> this morning, what I want to do is I want to speak to the very heart of who God is. I want to speak to the very heart of who the Bible says that God is. And at the same time, I don't want anyone leaving this church and not knowing why Kingdom Church exists. You see, what we're going to see in, in this story this morning is the heart of God is for that which is lost. And we're going to see that lost may not be 
what you think it means. The title of our message this morning is Parables, Pigs, and Prodigals. Touch the person next to you, tell them perfect. In order for us to understand our story this morning, uh, I'll give you guys a little background in a second. We're in Luke chapter 15. Luke is a book of the Bible found in the New Testament. If you're like, what's the New Testament? Simple. New Testament means Jesus was around or has been around. So we're in the New Testament. Luke chapter 15, and Jesus begins. Well, we actually get the context first. It says this, Luke 15, it says, Now, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, <laughs> This man welcomes sinners and eats with them? Jesus, completely disregarding what they say, begins to tell a parable. What we're going to see is Jesus goes on to tell three parables, and all three parables have something in common. All three parables are about that which is lost. We get the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and we get the parable that we're going to look at this morning, the parable of the two lost sons. And so before we get to the parable, what we have to do is understand the background in which this story takes place. Because if you don't know the context in which the story takes place, it's like walking into a movie 15 minutes late. You're not going to know what's going on. And you guys see people that walk into movies, you're like, you're late, dude. Like, what? Like, it's past the previews. I've been there since time play at, like, 30 minutes beforehand. And they're like, these guys have the audacity to be late? But what happens if you don't have the full picture is you're not going to understand the story. So before we get to the parable, we have to understand the context in which this story takes place. The Bible tells us that day that Jesus was speaking, there's two groups of people. One of the groups is what the Bible calls a group of religious people, Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now, what a Pharisee was, what a teacher of the law was, to make it simple, these were just religious people. Think in your mind of what a religious person looks like. These were them. These people understood the old, the Torah. They didn't just memorize, they didn't just know the Bible. They memorized the Bible. These people would not be caught dead breaking a law. Because to break a law was to break yourself off from God. To break a law meant that you were no longer welcomed in the fold. And these were religious people. They did everything right. They acted right. They spoke right. And these are the people that weren't too happy with the other group. The other group of people that, that, that day, the Bible says tax collectors and sinners. One version says notorious sinners. Like notorious B-I-G. Now what a tax collector was in those times, a tax collector was someone that they literally text, collected taxes from the people. The problem with tax collectors and why they were so despised was because they were known to be corrupt. They were known to cheat people. A sinner, on the other hand, what a sinner was, was someone that not only sinned, but was doing something publicly in which everyone knew exactly what they were doing. These were prostitutes. These were adulterers. These were drunks. Sinners. And this is the group that's surrounded by Jesus. We've got a group of religious people, and we've got a group of not-so-religious people. And what's interesting is the religious people, they didn't like the non-religious people too much. They're muttering to themselves, <laughs> who does this Jesus think he is? 
yet they're in the same space at the same time in the same place. And they're drawn together by one common theme, and that common theme was a man named Jesus from Nazareth. And Jesus was an interesting dude because Jesus was able to masterfully toe the line. If you read the Bible, some people think, man, Jesus only rolled with like sinners and I got to be more like Jesus. And some people think Jesus only rolled with religious people. But what we see is Jesus rolled with all groups, but he had this way of offending every single group that he was hanging out with. Yet as much as he offended them, they came back. Time and time again, they came back. And I can't help but wonder the reason they came back, the reason there's this room filled with religious people and not so religious people is because there was something about Jesus that was undeniably, irrevocably, and unquestionably attractive. There was something that kept bringing these two groups of people together despite what he said. They were there in the same room. Jesus is about to offend both groups in a sense, but they're still there. And what these two groups have in common, it's interesting. And the reason I think that this divine appointment happens in Luke chapter 15, the religious and the not so religious, the reason they're there together in this moment for this purpose is that there are two groups that are lost. Both groups are lost. I've been thinking about church a lot, and one thing that, that kind of bothered me was that I felt the church became a place that was filled with just religious people. As we started this journey to plant this church, I'd encourage people to invite people, invite people that don't go to church. And the common theme that I got was like, I'm not sure my, my friends will want to go to church. As I've asked people, I'm not so sure my friends want to go to church. And it's weird because that's so far from the picture of Jesus. Because everyone was attracted to him. And I can't help but think that if our churches are not attracting people that are not religious, then perhaps we're not sharing the messages that Jesus was sharing. You guys heard that? Welcome to Kingdom Church, baby. <laughs> At this church, I can promise you, we want, to share, we want to send and share the same message Jesus was sharing. And so he tells this parable to two lost groups. In Luke 15, verse 11, it says, Jesus continued. This is the third parable now. He's told two parables already about a lost sheep and a lost coin. The third parable goes like this. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Sorry, give me my share of the estate and so the father divides his property between them. Now we have to understand exactly what the son is asking here. Now a parable, for those who don't know what a parable is, a parable is a fictional story that brings forth a very real truth. And so Jesus begins to tell this parable because there's a truth that he needs to send to these people. And he begins and he says there's two sons and the first son asks his father, he says, Father, give me my share of the estate. What that meant was in this time, the father, whenever he would die, he would give all of his belongings and all of his possessions to his sons. How many out there are thinking, like, I wish my dad, I wish it was like that now. And so when the younger son is asking for his share of the estate, this was something that was actually extremely, extremely offensive. 
Because in essence, what he was doing to his father, he was wishing him dead. He said, Father, I'm not going to wait for you to die. Give me what I want today because I got places to go and I got people to see. And from the context of this story, what we understand about the father is the father is an extremely wealthy man. The father had everything you could ever ask for. And the son says, give me my share. I got to go. To the people listening to this parable, they would have expected Jesus, or they would have expected the father's response to be one of two things. Either extreme, extreme offense to deny the request and banish the son forever. The other response, the father is deeply, deeply hurt. So deeply hurt that he could not even bear to move forward because his son who he's loved has rejected him. To the shock of the crowd that day, it says the father gives the son exactly what he asks for. You see, friends, this is a parable, and so each character represents someone. The father in this story is God. And the first truth that is brought forth in this parable is that God will always allow us to do whatever we want. God will allow you to do whatever you want. In this story, the son says, I got to go. There's a life out there for me. There's something better than what you have here. And everyone thought that the, the, the father would say, no, no, no. But the father says, go. The father says, go. And so the son goes out, and the Bible tells us that not long after, the younger son got together. All that he had, he set off for a distant country because he's like, I got to go travel. I got to go find myself. I mean, you know, someone that travels. And there he squanders his wealth and wild living. So the son goes, and the reason that he goes at the beginning is because he's thinking that there's something out there for him. He thinks there's a life apart from the father that is better than anything he could ever have with the father, and so he goes. And he goes, and, and, and the Bible doesn't give distinct descriptions, but I can't help but think that when he went... He enjoyed it. He had fun. He had a real good time. He made friends. He was living the high life. He was living the bother life. He was living YOLO, as the kids say. <laughs> but it says not long after that, he squandered his wealth in wild living. You see, the Father is about, Jesus is about to show through this parable two ways in which people get lost. The first way in which we are lost is when we place our promise in possessions. When we place our promise in possessions. What this means is whenever we look to things in order to bring our life value, in order to bring our life meaning, the end result will always be that we will get lost. When we place our promise in possessions, we will end up being lost. When we are placing our life, our hope, our value in things, they'll never come through. The son left because he thought there was something out there that was going to give him new hope, something out there that was better than what the father had, and so he spends his money on sex, on drugs, on alcohol, whatever it may be, because he thinks that there's something out there that's going to make him happy, something out there that's going to really fulfill him because what the father had to offer wasn't enough. When we place our promise in possessions, the result is always 
the same. And it's funny because as much as we know it, all of us do it. I do it. Can I speak about iPhones for a second? I don't know about you guys, but every single September, <laughs> Apple gets me. They get me. You guys know what they do in September. They have the big launch of the new phone. Uh, the new phone. And specifically when the iPhone 7 came out, uh, I remember it because when it came out, I had the iPhone 6 and I was eligible for the upgrade. And so when I saw that video that Apple did, they just masterfully do those videos and they make everything look so good and they make that phone look like it's so much better than the other phone when it's really not that much better. And I watched that video and I'm like, I need the iPhone 7. And once I get the iPhone 7, my life's going to be good. And so the very first day the iPhone 7 came out, uh, I went after work to try and buy the iPhone 7, and the iPhone 7 was sold out. And I was like, what the? <laughs> because the, the iPhone was supposed to give me the, the hope and the dream that I needed in that time. And, and Christy, if she remembers, like, when I hone in on something, like, I hone in. Like, I'm a planted church. I'm a planted church. And so... I wanted that iPhone, I needed it so badly, and that night, like, I literally could not sleep. Because, like, I'm, like, Googling places that have the color that I want, they have the model that I want, because, like, I need that iPhone. And so I ended up going to, like, the most hood bell store in Edmonton, because I'm, like, no one's going there to get iPhones, and I got my iPhone 7. It's gold. It's awesome. And it brought me happiness for a bit, for a while. But really, after, after time goes on, the, the phone that once was going to bring me so much happiness is really just a phone at the end of the day. And that thing that I placed my hope and my dreams in, like once it, it goes away, it's just a piece of metal. And it's, this, it's, it's, an, it's an illustration, but it's something that we do in our lives because there's so many of us chasing after something. I wonder what video you guys watched. I watched an Apple video, but some of you guys are watching different videos. They're other people's lives. And you see someone else's life and you think, if I just had what they had, then I'll be happy. If I just had a better job, then I'll be happy. If I just had a little bit more money, then I'll be happy. If my spouse was someone else, then I'd be happy. And so we go off chasing things, chasing things that we think are going to make us happier. The younger brother went off. He said, give me my inheritance. I got to go chase. But look what happens. It says in verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. In other words, the things that he thought would bring him this joy, bring him this happiness, when it went dry, when there was a famine, he began to be in need. I want to suggest something this morning to anyone in this room that has placed their promise in possessions. You placed your promise in a job. You placed your promise in a person. You placed your promise in a product. One day, it's going to run dry. Here's the problem. Here's the tragedy. Sometimes it's going good for a long, long time. It can go good for years. Those people can be your friends for years. But there's going to come a time when there's a famine. There's going to come a time when you realize those people you thought were going to bring you that hope, that promise, it's not, it's not going to work out anymore. There's going to come a time you realize the iPhone XS ain't that much different than the iPhone X. It's not. 
watch the video. <laughs> Jesus at this point is speaking specifically to the first group, the, the, the irreligious group, the tax collectors, the sinners. Because Jesus knows that these people, the reason they're doing these things is because they're hoping what they're doing is going to bring them some kind of hope and some kind of a promise. But he knew that when you place your promise in possessions and things, it's never going to be enough. And so this son, he's in so much need, he went out and he hired himself to be a citizen of that country. He got a job. He got a job feeding pigs. And in this time to feed pigs was the ultimate sign of just, of disgrace. It was a disgraceful job. And so the son who had everything with the father is now in the pig pen feeding pigs. And the Bible tells us he was so hungry that he longed to eat from the trough in which the pigs were eating from. What a fall from grace. He went from this mansion, he went from having it all that the father was going to give him, and he ends up eating with the pigs. In fact, the Bible says he couldn't even eat out of their troughs. He was lower than a pig. I wonder this morning how many of us in this room went out chasing something, but we ended up eating with the pigs. Here's the problem, friends. When we place our promise in possessions, we'll eventually end up eating with the pigs. When we place our promise in possessions, we'll eventually end up eating with the pigs. We'll eventually end up in want. We'll eventually end up in need. And that's why people hop from relationship to relationship to relationship, from bed to bed to bed, from vice to vice to vice, because we're looking for something that's going to bring us satisfaction, that's going to fill that need. But when you place your promise in that, there's only one place to go, and it's with the pigs. It's a dire situation. I told you Jesus had this way of offending people because he's essentially saying to them, he's like, y'all eating with pigs. But Jesus here is about to bring a message of hope and he's about to show us the very heart of who God is. And so the son comes to his senses finally and he realizes I'm eating with pigs when the servants in my father's home are eating like kings. I'm out here starving to death and the people are in there living the life that my father wanted for me. And so he, he devises this plan. He says, I'll go out, I'll go back to the father, to my father, and, and I'll, I'll beg him. I'll beg him and I'll say, I'll, say, I'll, say, I'll say, dad, just hire me as one of your servants. A hired servant was not someone that lived on the property. That was a servant. A hired servant was someone that would live in the towns. They wouldn't even have access to the father. He says, after all I've done, after all I've been through, after everything that I've done, I'm just going gonna, gonna to beg him. I'll just, just hire me as one of your servants because I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy. Friends, the reason people don't go to church is because they feel like they're not worthy. And they feel like if I go there, they're going to expose me. They're going to talk about me. That's not, that's not for me. That's not who I am. But God is about to expose the very heart of who he is and the very heart of what he says the church should be. And so the Bible paints this picture, the son, he goes home. And as he's going home, 
For some reason or another, the Bible doesn't tell us how, but the father knew that the son was coming home. And there's this picture that the Bible paints. Uh, You can't even really describe it and do it justice, but somehow the father in the distance from far off, he sees his son. He's literally there waiting for him. I don't even know how he knew the son was coming home, but he was there waiting for him. And I imagine the, the, this, this scene where the son, as he gets closer into picture, the father gets a clearer view, and the father realizes, and he sees, and he's like, that's my son. And the Bible tells us that the father begins to run. There's something you need to know about a first century patriarch of a family. A patriarch of someone of this distinction would not run. Kids ran. Teenagers ran. Women run. Men do not run. And so the Bible is painting us a picture of a father that was willing to push aside all social barriers. He did not care who saw him. He didn't care what people thought about him. It doesn't say it specifically, but he would have rolled up his tunic and he would have exposed his ankles as he ran. And that was something he just didn't do. You guys like ankles? But... The picture that the Bible is painting is of a father that is running to his son. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. He doesn't care what anybody says. I'm sure people are saying, sir, what are you, what are you doing? He says, I don't care. My son's home. And the son, he sees his father running and the son has this, this speech prepared. And he says, he says Father, I've, I've sinned against you. And he's preparing this speech because he's, he, he's about to say, just hire me, just hire me. I, I'm no longer worthy. I'm no longer. And the father just says, shh. Says, we don't got time for that. And he calls to his servants. He says, grab my robe, grab my ring, and put sandals on his feet. These are all signs of acceptance. These are all signs of restoration. He says, we don't have time for that. My son's home. My son is home. That which is lost is home. I want to speak to someone this morning that feels like you've been far from home for a long time. Maybe your whole life, maybe years. Maybe you've been out feeding with the pigs. Guess what? The father is standing at the edge and his arms are wide open. Wide open. He doesn't care. That, that, the, the younger son, he still smells fresh. He still smells like pig. The father embraces him and he puts his sweater over him and he says, come home. Come home. God's urging someone's heart today. He's saying, come home gone for too long it's been too long come home there's two groups though that's the message for the irreligious but Jesus had a way to speak to both groups and the older son represents another group he represents the religious people and the older son when he he gets home father begins to, he prepares this festival, this great party. 
and the older son is ticked off and he, he refuses to go into the party. He refuses. He says, I'm not going to go in there and hang out with that person that was partying with the pigs. And he's hanging out outside and the father comes out to talk to him. Another thing you have to understand for the father to leave his party was another thing that the father would not do. As, a, as the person that throws the party, you never leave the party, especially if someone is showing you disrespect. But the father goes out to the son and the son says to him, he says, look. Because the father says, just come in, come home. He says, look. He says, after all these years, after all I've done for you, I've never disobeyed you. I've followed every rule you ever had. Not once. Not once did you throw a party for me. But the son of yours that was sleeping with prostitutes and spending your money, spending our money, you welcome home with open arms? You see, Jesus is speaking to two groups. The older brother represents the religious people because the religious people did not like the irreligious people that much because when Jesus hung around with them, that was a sign of acceptance. That was a sign of, of restoration that a rabbi would, would be surrounded by these people. And so these religious people are thinking to themselves, how could he surround himself with people like that? And the older son, how could he just welcome back him like that? Jesus here is actually perhaps preaching the most scandalous message that you could preach. You see, what Jesus was saying to these older brothers, to these Pharisees, was that when you place your promise in principles, you will be lost. Get this, this is offensive. He's saying a way to get lost is to follow all the rules. He's saying a way to lose the Father's grace is to put all of these rules, all of these regulations, all of these laws, because the older son is saying, I've never disobeyed you. And Jesus is saying, I don't care. That doesn't matter. You are lost in the same way as the person who has placed their promise in possessions when you place your promise in principles. There's a generation, a generation of Christians that believe the way to salvation is by following rules. The way to salvation is being good enough, perfect enough. But Jesus is saying when you do that, when you have that mindset, you will be lost because it leads to one of two things. Number one, your heart becomes so hard, no one else is good enough to be in the presence of Jesus. No one else is good enough to come into your church. Number two, what happens, the pressure is too much. No one can keep all those rules all those regulations and this generation of Christians that have left church because they've thought this isn't for me God didn't create me just to, to follow a bunch of rules and so we go off because we think there's something better both groups are lost both groups are lost you see a lot of people call this this story the story of the prodigal son what the word prodigal means it means to be recklessly spendthrift means to spend so much to spend it all to give it all and people look at the story and they say well the prodigal son he spent it all he gave it all 
This story is about the prodigal son. This story is about two sons. It's about two lost sons. And in this room this morning, there are people that are lost on both sides of the spectrum. But you see, I don't think either son is the main character in this story. There's only one character that's important in this story at the end of the day, and that is the father. Because the father represents God. The father represents Jesus. And get this. Yeah, the younger son was reckless. Yeah, the older son was reckless. He kept those rules recklessly. But the picture that is being painted in this parable and the picture that Jesus wants to get across to the people that day is that the main character in this story is the father. It's the father who was so reckless with his love. It's the father that was so reckless, he didn't care what people looked like. He didn't care what people did to him. Whenever they asked to come back, he welcomed them back with open arms. What I want to suggest this morning is this parable is not about a prodigal son. It's not about prodigal sons. It's about the prodigal God. Friends, there's only one way to fulfillment. There's only one way to happiness. Try as you may, look as you may, go where you may go, follow the rules you want to follow. But the only way to have hope is when we place our promise in the prodigal God. When we place our promise in the God who says, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you smell like. I don't care how much you've messed up. Come home. Come home. Friends, Kingdom Church exists for people to come home. Come home. I can tell you I've been places in my life. I've done stupid things. But there's no place as great There's no place that has as much joy as the Father's house. Some of you guys may have saw me worshiping here before. You're like, why are your hands up, you weirdo? If you guys knew me the way that only God knows me, and yet God still chose me to lead a church, your hands would be raised so high, you would touch the roof. but this is the privilege that God has given me. There's no way that someone like you can do the plan that God has for you in your life, but he's gonna, he's gonna use you. I promise he was gonna use you. And that stupid stuff that you've done, that's gonna be your testimony and that's what's gonna use to change someone's life. There's only one way to freedom, only one way to happiness. That's when we place our promise in the product of God. so much for listening i hope this message encouraged you inspired you if you would like to check us out in person or have any questions about our church head over to kingdomchurch.ca you will find everything you want and more we can't wait to see you again take care